Kishaw for the Devils plays it cross ice into the far corner. Matteau swoops in to intercept. Matteau behind the net. Swings it in front. He scores! Matteau! 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 Defend Matteau! And the Rangers have one more hill to climb, baby! But it's not Vancouver! The Rangers are headed to the final! From quarantine in Buffalo, New York, this is Steve Bennett, the Sportscaster, Season 10, Episode number 4. Uh, it's only been four, five, six days since I posted the last podcast, Season 10, Episode 3, uh, which had uh, two interviews, one with Jeff Perlman, and uh, why off the top of my head can I not remember the other one? Ah, listen, when you're locked down like this in quarantine... And that happens right here. Your mind just like turns into mush. Uh, it's Tammy and Paula and myself and Colston, and we are locked down. Of course, it was John Feinstein that was on the show. Uh, John and Jeff last week, season 10, episode uh, three. Well, since people are locked down, I'm taking advantage of that. And I'm reaching out to some of the people that are hard to get, hard to book. And I'm going to try to stockpile interviews and get new content out every six, seven days. Uh, so if you're looking for something to listen to, you can do it. Uh, this week, this is what we got. Two awesome interviews. The return of SL Price. Uh, Mr. Price has not been on in a thousand days somehow. One of the classic sportscasters interviews uh, was with SL Price back in the day when we debated Twitter. One of the most beloved interviews. And we do a great one today. Uh, we go for about an hour. Then... Eddie Trunk is on the show. Uh, Eddie Trunk, of course, from that metal show. He does a radio show every day on Sirius XM Volume. It's kind of a sports talk for music. And we've had Eddie on two other times. Those are quick hits. And I did my best with the time I had. Eddie's a busy dude. He travels around. He's going to shows. He's doing his own shows. He was recording a show, a TV show. He's stretched in 25 different directions, plus he's got a family, all that. So he's tough to pin down. Well, we got an hour with him today. Uh, so we got two great interviews, so I'm going to keep the intro short. We'll do one last thing. I downloaded the leaked Pearl Jam record. I'll tell you why I did it and what I think so far. That'll be one last thing. Uh, this is what we'll do. We'll take a break. We'll come right back with SL Price. I'll do a quick book club update because we do have some books in the book club, and I have a new one I want to mention to you. And then we'll take a break. We'll do Eddie Trunk. And then I'll be back. One last thing. I'll tell you what I think of the new Pearl Jam record uh, so far about 36 hours into it. With that said, I'm really excited. Uh, So let's do this. Let's take a break. And we'll be right back. It's the return of S.L. Price. Our first guest today is one of the best sports writers of all time. He's appeared nine times in the Best American Sports Writing Series, 26 years at Sports Illustrated, a published author, and one of the all-time great guests on the Sportscasters. He's back after a thousand days. Please welcome the great S.L. Price. How are you doing today, Scott? 
fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't know. Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. The optimistic um, uh, word for it. It's a uh, puzzled it. neutral, puzzled neutral, bewildered, vaguely frightened, and then vaguely bored. And then, you know, and I think I'm pretty much like everybody else, you know, just sort of waiting. You know, you know I, wrote, I wrote a piece. Yeah, go ahead. Way back in the way back in the day about Cuba, uh, about the Cuban sports machine, and I ended it with everybody waits. Uh, that was my kicker, and I remember it, it sort of hit me midway through the reporting process, um, and it was really sort of a an entire all encompassing view of the Cuban sports machine uh, back when it was at its height, and I was traveling around Cuba, and you know what I was struck most of all was just how everybody in the country. Um, was waiting for Fidel to fall, for Fidel to consolidate further, for the Great Depression that was hitting that country at the time to um, to somehow resolve itself, for the embargo to stop, you know, something. But everybody was waiting for basically the next stage to happen, and and it wasn't happening, and and they were just waiting. And that's how I ended my story. Everybody waits, and I I, I kind of feel like that's sort of where. Not just we in the United States, but the whole world is just sort of waiting. We're waiting for the shoe to drop, waiting to see if we're like Italy, waiting to see if we're like South Korea, waiting to see who we are as a country and whether we can unite and fight this thing or whether we're going to split apart even further. It's um, And of course, you know, waiting to see if it affects any of us. I'm in a house with right. myself, my wife and three kids and, uh, you know, one of my, my oldest son came back from New York. My daughter came back from school in Chicago and we don't even know if they're carrying something and, and, you know, they've had contact with people who got sick. So who knows? I mean, it's just, it's where we're at. Growing up in Buffalo, we've had times like this. I mean, similar, but snow different. Days, right? Yeah. Snow days. Snow weeks. And so yeah. they could go weeks, weeks is maybe extreme, but a week for sure. You know, uh, I think in November of 2002, one or two, uh, right around Thanksgiving, it was a solid week. I mean, we got nine feet in 24 hours or something. And there, there is a precedent for the hysteria here. You know, the way people act right before that and right after that and what it's like. But we're talking a week. When this gets into two, three weeks, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how we all re- react. Like, well, look, I, I, I mean, I've been – I've. I've been through the San Francisco earthquake in 89 and Hurricane Andrew in Miami. And um, there was snowmageddon here in D.C. when we got something like seven to nine feet of snow. Um, But this is, you know, obviously completely different. I mean, you literally could see what you were fighting (laughs) and what you were dealing with. And you you saw it coming. I mean, you didn't see the earthquake coming, of course. But with the hurricane, you had time to prepare. With With a blizzard, you not only do you... I mean, especially you guys in Buffalo. I mean, you're certainly prepped for for cold weather and and snow and and, we got and drifts of, of ten feet. Machines. Yeah, and yeah. And, and you know how to fight it, yeah. and you know that it's going to go away. You know it's coming. You know what it's going to look like. You know how you have to deal with it, and you know that it's going away after a certain amount of time. Maybe months, but you know, maybe weeks or whatever. And certainly, you know how to attack it with with shovels and plows. Nobody knows how to do anything, and not only that, but with, with a snowstorm. You did something. You could do something. Right. You, were, you you could take action. You know, shoveling the walk six times, you still felt like, well, this is I, I've got control of my situation because I'm able to do something to change it. Here, not only do you not know what this looks like or or, or or what it even feels like yet, 
um, you, 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 everybody tells you the best thing you can do is sit down and stay away from everybody and do nothing. And that's just sort of contrary to our natures. Mm -hmm. Then the do nothing part is tricky, right? But at least I remember when my, this is a, maybe a leap, but remember I was thinking about this the other day when my brother went to the USHL, um, which is a junior hockey league. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you know about it, but, um, when he went to the USHL, I remember the coach saying to me and my mom, we were standing there at like a practice, and he was it was early in the season, so he was introducing himself to the parents and stuff. He came up to us, he's like, you know what, it's a great time to send your son away for this because of the technology. You can watch the games, the streaming, and things like that. I was thinking about that yesterday. It's like, well, at least this is happening in 2019 or 20 and not, you know, 2000 and even – nine or even before that uh maybe 1989 where we don't have streaming and we don't have all the home entertainment options that we have at least it it feels like there is a if it had to happen like i don't know like i said maybe it's a leap a little bit but i feel like the uh the options to keep ourselves occupied and when they run out we can still obtain them without having to leave which in the past wouldn't have been the case, I guess. Well, I mean, everybody complained about how the Netflix just threw anything up there and there was too many shows to watch and it was a joke because right. there's too, there's too much content. You can't find well, anything. Thank now, God. Now, now I think now, yeah. now I think there's, there's going to be a test of that. Is right. there too much content because people are going to burn through all those uh, you know, binge series and everything else. I mean, I'm going through Mad Men for the second time just just for the fun of it. Yeah, I'm watching The Wire right now. <laughs> for I don't mm -hmm. even know how many times that is. Well, that's a good call because guess what? I I've never <laughs> seen The Wire. Oh wow! It, and I stayed away from it intentionally uh, for for a long time because I was working on a project that was similar and I didn't want it to sort of seep into it. So this would be a good time for me to get get in with Stringer Bell, right? Yeah, it, it's cliche of me to say. The wire's so good, you got to watch it. But yeah, no, everybody says. But you will, you will probably not be disappointed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no. um, you would probably enjoy that. And Mad Men, we, my wife and I just finished a show called Terriers, which Seppenwall turned me on to. Um, it was only one season, thirteen episodes. It was an FX show, but mm -hmm. Seppenwall's been going off on it because it, Hulu and FX just made a deal, I guess. And FX shows like Fargo, which is great, and. Americans, which is great, are on Hulu now, and this show showed up, and it's the first time it's been streaming. So I said, "Oh, let's let's check it out. It's only thirteen episodes. You know, worst case, we waste a week or whatever." Right. And uh, you know, that was great. And and then I said, "Well, what do we want to do next? Because this is a short term." And she's like, "Why don't we do Why don't we do Mad Men again? Because we did that one live, you know. So we never, right. you know, we never been, you know." So she was like, I wonder what it'd be like to watch that one this way. Because shows are different when you consume yep. them this way than, you know, the way we consume. Like Sopranos, remember, we would wait sometimes two years for it to go from one season to the next. I mean, I mean, Mad Men is, is, is actually kind of remarkable because it really is dense like a novel. I mean, yes. it's really like reading Balzac. I mean, it's a novel of manners and of, and of, and of this slice of time and place and, and mores, you know, and... And so it is like just rereading a great novel. Yeah. It's really, it's really, it's really fun to go. And, and of course the second time around you see things you didn't see and yep. you're familiar with the characters. There's, there's not a, there's not that element of discovery, uh, but, and, and because of that or surprise. Um, and so you can really sort of like focus more on the craft of it and see just exactly what uh, Matthew Weiner is doing. It, it's, it's actually 
really interesting um, to, to, to sort of go, go back and reread that novel. And everything you just said about Mad Men, I could say about Wire. Same thing. The mm-hmm. way it's, you know, the way, right. you know. Um, well, I had said to you before, okay, wait, before we get too far away from this, yeah. people are probably interested. Why don't you throw out four or five streaming television recommendations and maybe throw a few books out too. People like to know what to watch. Uh, what, what, what do you suggest? Throw a few out for the people. <laughs> uh well, for sports fans specifically, sure. Uh, the best sports fan book ever is a fan's notes by Frederick Exley. It's about fandom. This is about a, and and it's the most beautifully written. It's it's the closest thing sports a sports book has ever gotten to Great Gatsby. Mm. Um, and it's uh, astonishingly well written and pathetic and sad and beautiful and and uh, you know you couldn't fiction? you could never go wrong. Is it fiction mm-hmm. or not? Is it, it's yeah. it, well, okay. it's. It's it's actually it's more of a it's it's fiction but it's a memoir. He sort of was the first or one of the early ones to sort of mix those two up. Okay. Um, and so I would you know, uh, you you just you just cannot go wrong with with Frederick Exley. That's all there is to it. And if you have time, you know, I mean, uh, speaking of fandom, I mean, I I'm still going to recommend the movie Diner Forever because I I'm, I'm you know I just love that movie. Yeah, and, it's great. And it's mm-hmm. these guys are insane. Insane fans, kind of like Buffalo '66, as yeah, I'm sure you're yep. aware of, which is another great and insane film. Yes, um, not. you know, and I and and if people really want to bury themselves, what better time to bury yourself in Robert Caro's, um, you know, entire mega opus four four volumes at this point on Lyndon Johnson? I mean, the Path to Power is is the single best piece of nonfiction. I've read its history as reportage and reportage as history, and uh, it's beautifully written, and, and uh, there's just constant surprise in it. Um, and it will, it will last you, I mean, it's, it's uh, at this point probably 2,500 pages, so, um, and, it's, and it's incredible. And Master of the Senate tells you more about the workings of the government than anything I've ever read. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean. Uh, nice. uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, size of that and the length of it has always intimidated me. But in a moment like well, this, it might time. be the right yeah. time. Yeah, it might be the right time. There's a yeah. if you like. Oh, and let me let me throw yeah. out one more just sure. because he, he, yeah. he, he's completely been overtaken. I, I'm, a, I'm 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 I feel like I'm alone in this. Uh, 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 although George Packer wrote a book that sort of pulled off on on, on John Dos Passos uh, USA trilogy, which still is what I would uh, term next to Moby Dick, the, the one that has the greatest claim to greater, great American novel. So, wow. Um, High praise. Those are, those are my picks. Awesome. Yeah. I was, you talked about uh, Johnson stuff. If there's a kind of an underrated under the radar president book, uh, there's a guy named, it's a former secret service guy named Clint Hill. I know his yeah. last name. Yeah. He was, on, he was on the bumper, wasn't he? Yes. On, on Kennedy during mm-hmm. the Kennedy. In, yes. In Dallas. Yes. He was right. right there. He's the one that, that, um, Kennedy's basically uh, Jackie's crawling to basically that's him and he wrote a book called five presidents and it's about the five presidents that he worked for right and um, oh it's really good because it's just a really I guess interesting perspective right I mean and I you would... know the other thing the other thing I would throw out I literally because we're so stuck and I know this is a cliche but it's actually um, two beautiful books about movement American movement on the road which is actually a beautiful book and beautifully written. You know, it's 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 become a cliche, but it's 
it's just full of energy and uh and um i would recommend reading out loud the river the river passages of uh, huck finn because uh okay. twain is sort of underrated as a as a as a writer of nature and rhythm and uh his, his uh his descriptions of the mississippi and and of going down the river are just flat out beautiful and lyrical and it's about movement and i think i think we all could use that yeah. um as a as a way of really um getting out of our heads and getting out of our houses if at least mentally and the last one i put out is the movie goer which is by walker percy and really one of the great novels of the last hundred years i got one um which we didn't mention but uh oh and it's eisenhower to ford by the way are the five presidents uh, All right, let, let me ask you this. Yeah. I, I got a question. You've sure. seen Mrs. Maisel or not? Uh, no, I watch. Geez, I see the ad for it hundred yeah. times now. Every time I watch yeah. it, on Prime, I'm like, I gotta watch this show. <laughs> it's on I, my it's list. It's actually, it's yeah. actually beautiful. The soundtrack is beautiful. The char- the Tony Shalhoub is 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 in the 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 ancillary characters, the secondary characters are great. The parents, uh, she's just wildly annoying. And 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 the big mistake of the show is that Mrs. Maisel is that they can't stop telling you how wonderful she is, which is the kiss of death. It's sort of like when a comedian's in a movie and everyone's laughing at his jokes. Like you, you don't laugh; the audience laughs. You don't want the people and on screen to be laughing. It never works. Right. And it's how it is with Mrs. Maisel. There, everyone sits around telling you how beautiful, how funny, and how how just just captivating she is. And at least for me and a lot of people I know. I, I cannot tell you how, how annoying we find the central character of that show. So I would like to hear if everybody agrees with me or not, because I'm, I'm sure there's a big split. All right, my last one. But, but, it's, but it's well worth binge-watching, because it's really beautifully done. The music's great. The clothes are great. The sets are great. If you can get past your annoyance with the central character, um, it, it's, it's worth a binge-watch also. And it's still active, too, right? I mean, when you finish uh, it. Yeah, you, I, think yeah. It's, I think we're waiting for the next, next thing. Next one, and, right? and, you know, yeah. and, and, Barry, and I'd throw out Barry also as being a great thing to watch. Barry is an incredible show. How about playing through the whistle, steal football in American oh. town for a, for a read? That was, yeah, yeah, I must recommend that. Yeah, that was one <laughs> yeah. of those books. Uh, Scott, that it had like a lifespan on this show, right? Like when we first started talking, you were kind of just you had just written the article. I think we had you on to talk about the article in the the magazine, yeah, yeah. And then we kind of, as we would talk, I would say, How's the book coming? How's the book coming? Right, and then you know, and then eventually the day came where this box of 10 of them came. Uh, that the publisher was was it was a a six year run, yeah, uh, of putting that together, yeah. No, uh, that book was, I mean. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to bore anybody, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really important project for me, and, and was, and and remains so, and that place remains incredibly important, and and um, yeah, I, I sure I'd recommend it. It's a biography of an American town, and, yeah, and one that I think is is it, it, it's it's a it's a for me it's a, at least I tried to write a biography of American because I thought it was a microcosm of America in the 20th century and, and not just about football, but, but about in some ways how we got to where we are now. And, and like the sequels playing out in real time right now is they just got caught up in the politics, right? And they got moved up. I want to say. Yeah. They keep getting moved up. I mean, they're literally a single a team and I, they, they were playing up triple, triple a. And I, and I, I'm, if I'm not wrong, I believe they were just bumped up to four A. Yeah, they were just and, bumped uh, up. So wherever they were, they're it, up one. Yeah. So yeah. so it's, I mean, they're literally playing up three classes, and 
I mean, they had a rougher time, I think, this past year. Um, uh, but overall, I mean, with a with a senior class of that has just about 35 boys, I mean, it's it's astonishing the quality um, and the ter- and 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 really just the amazing fortitude and accomplishment and achievement of 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 now Mike Warfield, who who is now the head coach. He wasn't when I wrote the book, but he was he featured prominently in the book because he uh, led the essentially the investigation that uh, Tony Dorsett's nephew and uh, Tony Dorsett, the great. Dallas Cowboys running back. His nephew was running the biggest crack ring in town. No connection to Tony, of course. Tony right. was living in Texas, has nothing to do with it. But his nephew was still in town, and he was running the biggest uh, crack ring in in, in uh, Aliquippa at the time. And and Mike Warfield, who's now the head coach, um, uh, and and in his first year uh, won a state title as, as head coach a couple of years ago. Um, was is ba- he he's a um, with the sheriff's department, I believe in. Um, uh, in uh, Beaver County, or no, maybe it's with the state. I'm I'm right. mixing about One mixing up which which law enforcement. Right. But he was the he was working with the DEA. He was he was a uh, and he was the uh, he was basically spearheading that that investigation and and cracked the the, the ring at the time. And uh, you know, to me, that was sort of indicative of not just football's pervasiveness through the through the culture, but um, how the culture sort of pervades football as well you've got you've got uh, cops and football coaches and criminals and football legends all mixed together in that town and and um uh it's 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 part of the sort of struggle that this town has gone through ever since the mill went down back in the 80s i'm not sure if you had this moment yet but have you looked back at the six-year run and kind of thought oh um you know this was this was the way I wanted it, or I wish I could change this, or like have you had any giving the distance from it now? Have you looked back at all and, and thought about what you accomplished with the book and kind of how you feel about the project overall? No, I feel, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, the pe- you got to understand the people there were so honest and so generous with me. Um, uh, you know, they they really wanted their story told honestly. Um, they didn't want it sugarcoated. There were some really rough times there and there's some real triumphs and they didn't want, you know, me to gussy it up. They said, you know, don't, you know, tell it like you're from Aliquippa. Don't, don't, you know, cause it's, it's a, it's a place that prides itself on being pretty honest. I mean, one of the famous things they say is we don't stab you in the back here. We turn you around and plant it right in your chest. Right in the front. And, yeah. and, and so, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I have my limits as a writer and reporter. I wish I was better, you know, in general. <laughs> and so uh, I'm sure there are failings there that, that come through to people that maybe I'm not aware of. But, um, you know, as I gave it everything I, I had, and, and I'm really proud of it. And, it, you know, look, it, it came out in paperback, and, you know, I, 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 it's something that I've been working toward probably my whole career in terms of a, a project like that um, to try and take in the – breadth of 100 years of american history in this small town and um you know i i'm whether it succeeded or failed i have no idea i mean literally i don't i i feel good about it i i gave it everything i could and and i got a a good response from the people there also they they you know they were overall i mean some people thought oh, wow you know was anybody pissed at you and they i'm no i went back I went back um, in the fall after it came out um, in the winter, actually, and uh, 
did a did a um an event at the Great Library in downtown Aliquippa and 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 the people just couldn't have been more more gracious to me and and incredibly kind. Um so so I mean it, it's an insular place. Uh anybody who knows these small any small town, you know, knows, you know, they're going to be suspicious of strangers and you know, someone from a big magazine coming to town uh but they really, you know, once once I sort of proved I was in it for the long haul, I, I they really opened themselves up to me, and I I can't tell you how grateful I am. For it. it was really a privilege to be able to tell that story because the place is special, and uh, I, you know, I I it, it's really funny because you look around it, you drive through it, and people say what a wreck, and it, it certainly has a bad reputation from people outside of Aliquippa in Pittsburgh, you know, there's sneers about, you know, crime and so on and so forth. Right. But the people who lived and grew up in, in, in Aliquippa, even those in, in its worst days, miss it. And I miss it. And I didn't even grow up in it. Huh. I mean, I, I miss the people there. I haven't, I haven't been back in a couple of years. Um, but, um, th- there's something really vital and, and, and pure about that place that, um, that got un- under my skin. And, um, you know, I, 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 it was a gift, a gift for me to that that they gave to me that that allowed me to to chronicle their 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 story. Yeah, the again, this the book is called "Playing Through the Whistle: Steel Football in an American Town." And if you don't have it, uh, of course, it's you know you can get the digital version, or you can just um, ask the you know the Amazon man to to bring. Apparently, it. there's 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 you know like seven versions or something at this point you know there's yeah. audio there's this yeah know, yeah you, so yeah if you're not getting it now you're you're never going to get it because it's uh you know you it's in, available in in all forms and and there's no excuse everybody's home we uh we talked before we jumped on about how it's been a bit um since we've had you on for whatever yeah. reason and obviously a lot has changed about your job and i'm not going to ask you to get involved in the politics of the magazine i had John Worth, I'm on, and we did that just fine. What mm-hmm. I'm more interested in is how, as Sports Illustrated has changed since we talked last, how has the role of Scott Price changed? How has your job changed, if at all? Well, I mean, no, I'm I'm sort of in a in a limbo right now. Um, okay. You know, I, I, at this point, we're still trying to figure out what my role is at Sports Illustrated. Um, uh, and I've just got to sort of figure it out with, with, uh, you know, the sale from Meredith to Maven. And, and I was working on a podcast, um, that got sort of, uh, held up for the moment, um, in, in terms of trying to figure out the technical aspects of it. Um, and, and, and technical, I don't mean, you know, um, how to, how to record. I right. mean, there are just, there are just issues about, uh, my situation that, that we still got to like a weed serial out. podcast. Like about Say it again? like a serial podcast, like you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. What yeah. It, what it was was it was a it, it's about the one SI story I I wrote that never got published. Okay. Which is um, uh, in nineteen eighty two. It's the most famous play in in I mean I I would say in college football history, which is the Cal Stanford band play where um, uh, Kevin Mullen, uh, you know, uh, there was a series of laterals on right. the uh, band in the last on second, the field. and then ran, yeah, the band is on the field, yep. and and um, uh, the third. Uh, the most important, arguably the most important lateral was thrown by Marette Ford, who was the MVP of that game. And 15 years later, he went to jail for um, for murdering his uh, wife and oh, no. and uh, eight month old unborn child. And and um, 
and his three-year-old son. Um, and he, I, back in 1999, went and saw him at Folsom Prison and saw the, uh, went and um, interviewed and spent time with the family of the victim. Um, and um, the story didn't run for a lot of different reasons. Um, and, you know, our, I, I always thought they were kind of, Silly reasons, frankly, it was, but but you know, I'm not in charge, and there were space considerations and everything else. Um, so, SI chose not to to run it at the time. And a few years ago, Chris Stone, the managing editor, then managing editor of SI, came to me and said, "Hey, um, hey, that story was a good story. Uh, would you be interested in doing?" It? I'm like, "Yeah, it was a good story. It was a good story then." I said, "Well, we'd have to we'd have to go and re-report it," um, and. Um, that's sort of, you know, meaning we'd have to go to California and spend right. a lot of time and, 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 and because it's been so long, right. you know, uh, and it just sort of, I made a call or two and the, uh, Moret wasn't ready to talk again at that point in time. And there were other considerations that came into play. And so, um, it sort of languished. And then about a year ago, I said, I went to SI and said, look, I, I don't know if I, and, and I, and I had hesitations about redoing it as a written piece because I had already written it. And you lose a, a, a real amount of energy um, of discovery um, sure. in, in, in going back to that, you know, yeah. re, re, regurgitating. But um, then about a year ago, I said, you know what, I, I'd be interested in doing it as a podcast um, because I have all this old tape um, from 20 years ago. And I was the first person to interview Moret in prison. It never ran. So other other stories did run after subsequent to that really well done by the San Francisco Chronicle and uh, other paper um, in Northern California. And they went and talked to him and it always burned me because I think it said in his first published interview. And I was like, yeah, I know. Well, yeah. it wasn't, mine, <laughs> mine wasn't published. So, right. so tip, tip that. of the hat. Yep. Yep. But, but the point is, is that, you know, I had, I had, you know, all this tape from then and it was, and it was you know, micro cassette tape that God knows whether it was even usable. And so, um, they gave me the green light, and I started in on it. And um, um, unpublished once again. <laughs> well, no. What happened was I went back and it had an incredible reporting trip with my producer Emma Morgenstern, and we we just just come up came up with some incredible new information. And and look, the the point of the case is it was a purely circumstantial case. Moret Ford was, and which is absolutely you know legitimate as a as a means in the legal system of of convicting someone but um he always insisted that he didn't do it and there was no murder weapon no eyewitness no um history of violence at all um and it was a horrific murder um in which essentially uh, his wife and son were were bludgeoned or kicked to death and then lit on fire oh. and so <laughs> You know, and so this came in the sort of wake of O.J. Um, Simpson and uh, that case, and and it and he's insisted ever since that he was that he didn't do it; he was innocent. And so we went back, and I spoke to him in Folsom Prison last summer, and um, I mean, really fascinating reporting and 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 great story. So we were getting ready to do it, and and piecing together episodes and writing them and everything else, and. I mean, one of the complicating factors is that I got a ma I got into a massive bike crash and and uh, oh, severed my. my my quad tendon and broke my uh, clavicle in four places. So are you okay? So that 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm about a month away from full rehab, okay. and they said, you know, it, it takes a long time to rehab it, um, but after five months, you'll be able to do what you were doing before. So, so okay. you know, I've still got a swollen knee and, and got weird ridges, and this was before Thanksgiving. So, it, so that or, derailed the project as well. So. Pedals or motorbike? No, no, it was a bicycle. I, okay. You know, oh. the week before Thanksgiving, and I took a turn that I've taken 200 times, and, and, uh, and, uh, I guess hit wet leaves. Ugh. Bike slid out from underneath me. My knee hit hit first and exploded, and Damn then it. my shoulder hit second, and and then I smacked my head um, at the end of it. And you know, luckily people were incredibly helpful. There, you know, happened to come upon me. It was during the week, middle of the day. Could have been nobody on the on the trail at that point in time. So I, I was really lucky, and I, I'm still lucky. I mean, it, thank God it didn't happen last week. You know, right. I mean, you know, so so. You know, so so that derailed things as well, and and so it, you know, long story short, and it's it's impossible for this not to be a long story. I'm I'm still trying to figure out uh, with SI what what my situation is and what, where we are going forward. So um, you know, I I have a lot of respect for Steve Canella and and um, the people from SI who went over with the Maven. Um, they still got great writers, um, and the publication looks good. But of course, it's now down to a monthly. Right. Um, and um, you know, there's real, and it's no longer doing sort of the event coverage. You know, because everyone has decided that that uh, you know that that uh, you can get whatever you need from events online. And by the time a, a magazine comes out, it's it's um, it's uh, uh, obsolete. Um, so there's a lot more. You know, it's basically a magazine of uh, what seven or eight bonuses now, um, and it's you know looks good. The paper's thicker, and you know. Uh, Maven says they're in it for the long haul. We'll see. And so I'm, meanwhile, I'm working on another book and we'll see what happens. Have you said what the book's about? Yeah, it's about lacrosse in America. Oh, okay. Yeah. I well, spent a lot of time great... with, the, with the Iroquois. Um, I, I did a massive piece on the Iroquois in 2010 and I covered the Duke lacrosse case. Um, yeah, I remember that. And I just, I, I just, there's a, obviously the sport has a, has an image that's, um, not always positive and very much prep school and upper class, but, but it's a far more complicated, complex and fascinating sport with the rise of women, um, title nine, um, finance on wall street, um, the world games and the push toward the Olympics. And, um, and this is a sport that goes all the way back a thousand years in America. There's nothing else like it comes out of the, the woods comes out of the trees, the hickory sticks and the, deerskin uh balls and uh uh it's 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 the american game it really is and a, and and it and it's a real mirror i think and a and a prism to to look at a lot of different issues and aspects of american life one of the great uh, lacrosse stars of all time is a buffalo sports legend and john tavares um obviously that he played indoor um but i'm sure he played outdoor as well at some point well, and his son's a pretty good athlete, too. All <laughs> right, his nephew. No, no, his, his nephew. nephew. Yeah. Nephew, right, yeah. nephew, that's right. Yeah, for the lease, which you wrote a great story um, about the lease, uh, about Matthews. and um, Yeah. Yeah, but hold on. I want to get back to the, before we get too far away from it again, the other thing we were talking about. Yeah. So does that story that didn't get published, does it exist anywhere? Like, can you like did you ever put it on your website or? Oh, no, 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 it didn't get published. So, so it's just like lost, like it, you don't have it like on a doc file? Oh, I have it. Oh, okay. I have it. All and, right. and I have all my, and, and look, I had all my notes, like normally, 
as time goes on, you know, I have a, when I do a story, I have a pile of, you know, files and, right. and, 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 and all the things that have been written about that and, and, uh, about that subject and notes and phone numbers and everything else. And once the story has been published, eventually it gets winnowed down and all I've got left is maybe a bunch of, uh, of phone numbers and my notebooks. Uh, but that stack for Marette Ford and that story remained untouched and it just sat on my shelf staring at me and, and laughing at me and saying, you know, and it, and it just irked me and I just could not throw it out, even though, even though it had quote unquote died, um, in 1999. Um, but I just, I couldn't let it go and it stuck with me. And I always worried about, wondered about, uh, Marette's brother who was very close to him. Uh, and uh, who I'd spent time with also back in the day. So um, it, it, I, I don't want to say it haunted me, but it because I didn't think there were many long stretches where I didn't think about it at all, but it also sat there right next to my desk staring at me in a way that no other notebook or story had been staring at me. And, and um, so, yeah, I had all the reporting matter with me, old facts, Pages. I don't. Nobody. I, I certainly don't get fact. And I mean, a roller page. You know, rolls of pages that were in an old fax machine. L- literally, not not you know eight and a half by eleven, but right. an endless roll of paper and you know folded up and fading because the print has faded so much on it. I've got. You know, I can barely read what's on there, but I still had those. And so, so it's it's a story that stayed with me, and and I you know it it was inexplicable as to why it didn't run originally because most people did not know the story. They just knew about the play. And to me, that's man bites dog. You know, it's like, right. you know about the play, but guess what? Um, there's a part of this play that has a dark side and, and, uh, and you don't know about it. Let me tell you about it. And so that's what I did. So I'm sure there's a simple answer for this, which you'll tell me, but okay. So it didn't run when you wrote it in the magazine, but yep. in the years since, why couldn't it find a spot on a website or your website or, Whatever, like, why does it have to remain unpublished? Is there a reason for that? Well, well, now it's. I mean, well, first of all, there's no, there's no, there's a very technical reason why not because okay. the original story, as it was submitted to SI, essentially got lost oh. at SI. And what I mean by that is not that they didn't have it; they had it for a while, but then new technology came in and 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 essentially old programs were sort of made obsolete. And so the, the original, like no one, no one, it was, you know, it was, they, there was a circle and a slash through it saying, we're not going to run this story. So no one, it was in no one's interest to, to hold on to it. Right. Sort and of so like it was person, on VHS and then DVDs came exactly, out and they didn't convert right. it and they threw the and DVDs so, out or the VHS exa- out. Right. Perfect way of putting it. Okay. Meanwhile, what I had was I had some versions that I could, could only retrieve through text edit. Okay. And so, and, and what that does is like, it sort of gobbles, it, 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 it spits it out, but it's not in a pristine form. And there's all these weird, weird symbols and letters in between. And right. you have to go sort of mm-hmm. go through it. And so, and again, you know, I, I, you know, moved on. I had other stories to work on. I wasn't going to spend time doing it. No one seemed interested in it until Chris Stone came to me, you know, five, six years ago. Um, uh, and, and even then, and, and then it's just as a matter of, professionalism i thought well we shouldn't put this story i mean there was a, there was a thought of well maybe we should just put i did send it in and say hey well this is this is what the original was and they're like well could we just put this up and i'm like no it's 20 years old and we haven't right 
we haven't updated it. We haven't, we, if we're going to publish a story now about this, there's plenty that, uh, we need to find out first and foremost, whether there's been any advances in the case because of DNA and, and whether he still says he's innocent, <laughs> you know, just some basic stuff. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, go back and, I mean, it, everybody knows this. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not saying you don't know, but I mean, the point is, is like, you can't, you got to update the story. Sure. And and we weren't willing to put the time or the right. uh, resources into it at the time. But as a podcast, it, it especially because I had sort of a historical depth of 20 years to this story and some tape from back then, it, I, I thought it made it an interesting oral, A-U-R-A-L, experiment and experience because I don't know that many podcasts go all the way back to that, at least in this in this realm. So... I thought it'd be interesting. So do you, I don't want to get too personal, obviously, but do you think that you're going to continue at SI? Is it, is it leaning that way? Or do you think that, I mean, you've been there 26 years or something, right? Do you think that you're getting to the point where it's going to be a new adventure or what, where do you stand today in your mind without being personal? I don't know. The only thing I know for sure, I don't know. We'll we'll just see. I mean, I, I, like I said, I loved working for Steve Canella and we'll, we'll just see. There's just some, some logistical and technical things to have to be worked out. Um, but for the moment I'm, I'm in sort of a limbo and this podcast is the most demanding part of it. I mean, I'd love to get the podcast done that because I, that's, that would be my priority. I mean, in the short term, I would love to, I mean, because we had the first episode done and we had two or three written and ready to be recorded. And, uh, there's, it's an eight episode arc and, and all the reporting is essentially done. So, I would love to do that. Um, I, I was going to spend a lot of time working on my book this year, so I don't know how much I would be working for SI after that. I have no idea. And we just, you know, everything was sort of thrown into limbo by bike crash slash uh, the sort of uncertainty of the podcast. And and that's where we are, where where we're at. But, um, you know, we'll just have to see. I, I, I Honestly, I mean, believe me, I've had this conversation a lot. It's just I'm, I'm in a sort of, I'm in a sort of hanging uh, hanging spot right now. You are kind of uh, in a profession where you, you kind of never have to, there's no physical limitations maybe to writing, you know, well, there is, but well, you could, you can, you can be a sports writer for a little bit longer maybe than you could be a sports player, obviously. Right. Um, you mean, uh, I mean in, in, in the, in the life in the time of cholera, is that what you're saying? I, yeah, like, I just right mean, now? like in the demands of like, like okay, so or, like if if or, like my, my, or my age is that I mean yeah, we're talking about yeah like my wife's dad is a drywaller right so there's yeah. like a, a limit to how long he can do that like he's starting to right. feel it at I think he's sixty right and he's starting to feel mm-hmm. it in his shoulders and his knees oh he says right. to me all the time Stevie maybe one more year maybe two whatever right. whereas like I mean we've seen some of the legends of sports writing go into their eighties or whatever uh, yeah yeah and I'm getting to a point here I'm sorry um, no, it's okay. I did a terrible job explaining that part of it. I wonder for you, you know, mm-hmm. 26 years at SI, six or seven times in the best American sports rating, uh, the incredible nine. nine, okay, the incredible book that you have published a few years ago, the incredible book I'm sure that's to come, uh, the idea of the podcast ahead. What's left for you in your mind when you do type the final period on the keyboard? What do you feel like is left to complete your career? Your what you want to leave behind as the legacy of this one of the great sports, I'll say that, one of the great sports writers of all time. What do you want to finish, though? What's left? Well, <laughs> I mean, I never, 
I mean, it's all gravy to me. What I mean is from the start. I mean, I, 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 you know, I was an English major at, at, at school. And when I got out of, when I got out of college at the university of North Carolina, I wasn't a journalism major, um, started working for newspapers. I mean, I just happened to come out in a time when newspapers were flush and would take a chance on somebody who really had a problem writing at that point in time. And, um, you know, uh, I, I would have, I mean, I'm the kind of person I, I, I like asking questions and I love traveling. And I, I, I'm the kind of guy who like talks to people, talks to strangers in a bus station or, or in a, in a, you know, an airport terminal. And, and, but if, because I work for, you know, the Miami Herald, you're kind of always Bay interviewing, or, right? You're kind of always interviewing, even when you're just talking. Yeah. yeah. And my, my kids, you know, friends yeah. all, you know, get annoyed because yep, they come I, home over and I way. start asking them questions. Uh-huh. And, and so, you know, the fact that someone was willing to pay me to do this, like, it's astonishing. I mean, it was the only, it was the only card I had to play. I, I'm not really good at anything else. And so, um, the, I, I was just inordinately lucky to come out at a time when newspapers were expanding and had too much money to burn. They literally had 20%, 25% profit margins. I mean, I worked for the Sacramento Bee, uh, McClatchy newspapers. They just declared bankruptcy. Then I worked for the Miami Herald and then, you know, they, they too were a McClatchy, um, uh, property, you know, yeah. uh, uh, operation for, yeah. for, for a while. I mean, you know, so, and sports illustrated was just, you know, sold. I mean, I, I've, 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 I've had no sort of grand plan for my career, um, except to get better. Like, I mean, they, everybody paid me to get better. Every book I wrote, I wrote a book about Cuba. I wrote a book about living overseas and I wrote a book about minor league baseball. And then this one about Aliquippa, they're all like going to grad school. Like someone's paying me to get better and to learn. Like, are you kidding me? It's like that, that's my career. That's, I mean, and as long as I feel like I'm still learning, which I've been fortunate enough from almost the entire bulk of my, what's it been like 36 years? Um, I've always felt like I'm always learning and, 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 and hopefully getting better. And, um, as long as I feel like I can do that, uh, and I certainly feel that way about this, this book, I'm really incredibly excited about it. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just going to keep pushing, keep pushing forward. All right. Uh, one more, one or two more, and I'll let you go. Not to rip sure. off uh, Huey Lewis, but if this is it, as they say at SI. <laughs> uh, hip to be square. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the, um, is there a certain thing or things that you're like, man, I'd really like to do, maybe it's podcasts, or maybe I'd really like to do right. more novel i don't know what is there is there a thing that you if like i said if that's it at si is there a, a direction you want to go a certain thing you haven't or have done you want to do more of or at all i mean i i'm 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 gonna do this book i mean i'm not right. i'm not trying to be coy like literally like i'm i'm in it i'm doing it i mean i'm i i look the one thing i learned over the last like like i went and did a a piece on luke heimlich who was an oregon state pitcher um, uh, yes, I uh, remember it. The uh, draft, the rape kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the the uh, molestation or whatever of his of his of his niece. Um, he was the best pitcher in America uh, for Oregon State. Uh, just just a ridiculously complex and and heavy story. Um, you know, the Chappaquinsay soccer tragedy. Uh, uh, you know, the the Maple Leafs. I mean. Um, it's it's there's nothing more gratifying than going out and reporting 
Um, and, and, and it of course makes your writing better because you're more confident because you, you, the more information you have, the better writer you are. Um, I don't care how pretty your sentences are. You're nothing without, without news and information and, and just knowledge. And so as lo- that, I love doing that. And I'm doing that with this book. I just did a two hour interview yesterday, even in the midst of this and setting up others. So, I mean, that that's what I'm doing. I, and, and that's what I'm good at. I mean, the, the fact is, there's a reason you don't see me on TV, not that anybody's knocking on my door, but I'm not, I'm better. I'm, I'm doing what I'm good at. I'm, I'm right. good at reporting and, and I'm good at writing. And that's, and, and, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm on TV, I, my, my entire career has been, uh, uh, a furious conspiracy, one man conspiracy to cover up my, my, my weaknesses and accentuate my strengths. Um, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm doing what I, what I want to do and what I'm good at, which, and I'm, and I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. Um, cause my alternative was working in a shoe store <laughs> Well, so, or, or being a teacher, which, which, which is probably where I was headed. We're all home or a lot of us are home. And if you are, and the easiest way to get things in is digitally and you can get on if you want to do it right now after you hear this on Apple, the the books app, pitching around Fidel, playing through the whistle, and the heart of the game. You could get all three of those for less than thirty five dollars. Um, yeah, and 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 far afield, you probably could get for a quarter at this point. So yeah, I don't see that on Apple, but it very could be very well yeah. could be on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. and that's and that's uh, a memoir of our uh, of living in Europe during. Um, just before the Af- Athens Olympics, uh, and which is really seems like a long time ago, but it, but I also felt like, well, I gotta I gotta tell you how I got here. So, it's it's a memoir, a little bit about how I became a sports writer and, and you know my road. So, for the four people who might be interested in that, they're certainly not in my family. Um, um, you know, spend a quarter, and you'll 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 get an idea. Well, someday when this is done and I someone says to me, you did that thing, what was good about it? I will say, well, I had the chance to spend time with people like Frank DeFord and uh, Jeff Perlman and, uh, and you know, S.L. Price. Like, that's what I'm going to remember about this, that I got to do these things with uh, writers that I spent hours of my life reading and loving and enjoying so thank you very much for doing this i know it's been a while since we did it for whatever reason hopefully we can do it again soon and hopefully no, anytime and, and and thank you for asking me you ask great questions and uh and it's and it's a privilege to <laughs> to be asked let's put it that way so, okay, well, so thank you so much for having me thank you we'll thank you. stay safe and uh, uh enjoy the time with your family and hopefully we get around the other side of this and you figure out what's going on and, and absolutely when the time comes i can't wait to you know to work the book again like we did with the last one. So, um, would love to do it. All right, thank you. Thanks, Stephen. I was a little too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high 
All right, I want to thank Scott Price. First of all, for the great things he said about me. I'm shook. I'm shook. I'm going to call mom and tell her. One of the great sports writers of all time likes being on my podcast. What an honor. Thanks to SL Price for being back. Not sure why he hasn't been on in so long, but I'm sure he'll be back uh, to be on again soon. All right, I'm excited to get to Eddie Trunk, but a few things I have to mention. First of all, last week, Season 10, Episode 3, we had John Feinstein on to promote his book, The Backroads to March, The Unsung, Unheralded, and Unknown Heroes of a College Basketball Season. The book is available wherever you buy books. Obviously, uh, Apple has it. Amazon has it. Uh, you can't get out to bookstores right now, but you can certainly get the ebook either via the Kindle or on Apple for your iPhone or iPad, uh, or you can order the hardcover through Amazon. Again, it's called The Backroads to March, The Unsung, Unheralded, and Unknown Heroes of College Basketball. If you want to know more about that book, listen to the last podcast, Season 10, Episode 3. We had uh, John on to talk about it. In an upcoming podcast, we will have Keith Law, a senior baseball writer at The Athletic. He has a book called The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Basket, or excuse me, Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves. Uh, Keith and I are going to record an interview soon. Uh, the publisher wants me to hold that one until April when the book comes out, though, which we will do. Uh, but in the meantime, you can pre-order that book uh, wherever you pre-order books. Again, it's called The Inside Game. All right, real quick story. I was talking to Jeff Perlman uh, this week. Uh, We were following up on some things, and he said, hey, you got to have this guy on. Um, He just wrote a book. It's his first book, and he's going through the um, putting out a book in the middle of a a pandemic, Uh, and you got to have him on. Um, And I reached out, and we're going to do it. So his name is... And hopefully I don't screw this up. It's Yaron Weitzman. uh, And his book is called Tanking to the Top. The Philadelphia 76ers and the most audacious process in the history of professional sports. Again, Tanking to the Top. uh, The author's name is Yaron, Y-A-R-O-N, Weitzman, W-E-I-T-Z-M-A-N. If you check my Twitter feed, at sports underscore casters, I tweeted about the book with some links. You can check that out. Let's help. Let's help him out, right? What a bad time. Uh, what a bad time to put out a book, your first book. Uh, we're going to do our best to get some copies moved and to help him out. So those are the three books for the book club this week to mention. Don't forget Blake J. Harris, The History of the Future. His book is out on paperback if you want to check that out. All right, let's take a break. We're going to be right back with Eddie Trunk. All right, our next guest was once the host of that metal show with uh, Jim Florentine and Don Jameson. He hosts a weekly, daily show every week on SiriusXM Volume from 2 to 4. He's a legend in rock music, and we're honored to have him on the program today. A warm sportscaster's welcome 
to Eddie Trunk. What's up, Eddie? How you doing, man? Very good, Steve. Uh, Weather in the craziness like everybody else. Hope you are also. Yeah, we're locked down, you know, here in Buffalo. I know you're locked down in Jersey. And uh, it's it's surreal. It's a, it's a really, you know, unprecedented time, sort of. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I've been on the this earth 55 years, and I've never seen anything like it. And you can only hope that it passes sooner than later, and we can all kind of get back to normal. But so far, it's anything but normal, that's for sure. At first, when it started, I was telling my wife, I'm like, it's kind of like when we get a blizzard, but the blizzard hasn't come yet but they still shut everything right. down cuz they're like look it's going to come today so let's just you know not be caught at schools or work so let's shut down today and then you wait and wait and wait and but with this it's almost like you know the snow's never going to fall you just got to you're just going to be waiting and waiting and waiting because you can't see what it is so it's it's similar but different and much longer. Yeah, yeah, and you hope it, and you hope just like the snow, you hope it actually doesn't come. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that um, gets us through this—I mean, at least for me—is music. Right? I mean, thank God for music. And um, I thought it would be a great time to reach out and talk to you. I one thing I never do, Eddie, is leaks. Like if I'm waiting for an album and it leaks, I always wait because you know there's something romantic about the release day and going to the store or whatever, you know, back in the day, the midnight releases were the best. Man, I'd love to do that again someday. But um, in these unprecedented times, I did break my rule and download the Leak Pearl Jam album the other day and have been listening to it nonstop because I figured, hey, it's just coming in the mail anyway. I already bought it, so didn't steal anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I've been enjoying that. It's a great, great record. Really one of their, their best probably ever, maybe. But it's hard to judge because in a time like this, anything sounds great, right? Yeah, you, I haven't had a chance to hear it yet, but I look forward to hearing it when I, I do get it. Let's talk about your show for a second. Um, you do a radio show on uh, volume on Sirius. It's uh, Monday through Friday from 2 to 4. And you're keeping it going, but you're modifying it a little bit with doing mostly mailbag show. Uh, tell me just about the me- – we're interested in media here. So just tell me kind of about the mechanics of it and um, how it's the challenge of doing it and what you have to do and how things change every day and, and how it's been so far. Well, it's an ongoing process, and it's kind of still always moving and changing. I'm just adapting to what they're hitting me with. But basically, yeah, I mean, I, doing a two-hour live talk show, as you mentioned, uh, 2 to 4 Eastern every day, uh is is a bit of a challenge when they tell you you can't do it live anymore and you can't take calls and you can't have guests and you can't have interviews and you don't have phones and you don't have a producer. So that's basically <laughs> what happened. Right. And all of that was done out of a, an abundance of caution because what initially started happening was they just kind of started telling people uh, Sirius XM has two, two uh, main, well, three main facilities, Washington, D.C., uh, 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 Los Angeles, and then the main headquarters is New York City. And I, I've actually done my show from my, I have a home studio, which I've done it from predominantly. And I, so so it really didn't matter to me that I was not able to come into the building for a little bit because I work from home pretty much anyway and have a full setup there in order to be able to do the show. And then, but what changed was when things got really intense with the coronavirus, they decided that it was no longer safe for the producers of the 
show to come in and I can't do a live show without a producer or somebody in the, in the main building because they have to run the board. They have right. to run the controls. They have to screen the calls. Basically all I'm doing from a home studio is pumping out the, you know, my voice and I'm, I'm able to answer some calls and stuff, but basically I'm just, I'm just pumping out, you know, my voice into the whole thing. So, uh, when they told me that wasn't going to be the case, but they wanted to try to find a way to continue to, uh, deliver a show, then basically it just became, well, you've got to talk into a microphone for two hours a day and because we still want some new content. So that's the mode I've been in now for about a week. And the, the big thing for me that I'm real fortunate is because I've got such a really engaged and passionate audience. I, I had been doing shows anyway that I was occasionally when I need to pre-record a show, right? The emails. I do an email show. There's occasional, right. there's occasion where I travel a lot as anybody that listens to me knows in normal circumstances. And sometimes I'll need to catch a flight and be out a half an hour early or whatever. And I find that because my show is on in the middle of the day, although, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that can listen. Then there's also a lot of people that can't because of their work schedules. So uh, I, there's a replay of it every night. And I also started to realize, you know what? there's i get so many emails from people who listen but they can't call when the show is live so a while ago i started doing these sort of mailbag shows or hours and they became quite popular so basically i just kind of shifted into that mode where instead of using phone calls to give me ideas or to riff off of i just basically was honest with the audience and said here's what's going on and i need your emails and there's hundreds and hundreds of them which i'm grateful for so I've got more than I'll ever be able to read or ever be able to answer. And it's just a nice thing to have in my back pocket. So I've just gone into this mode where I'm sort of doing topical stuff at the top and giving any relevant news and then getting into some of these emails. I'm going to start working in some archival interviews. I'm going to try doing a, a, a theme driven show working off the emails, but I just don't have that back and forth at the moment with the phones and, and a live show. And I'm normally recording it the night before it airs. So, the first airing is 2 p.m. Eastern every day. So usually I'm recording it somewhere around 7, 8, or 9 the night before. So I can at least get all the that day's info, if there is any, out onto right. the air the next day. Yeah, with so all everybody's that. just kind of you know working on the fly here and figuring it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start using some archival interviews from the past that people probably haven't seen because I think there's a lot of new listeners that maybe didn't hear the first year of the show since it was a brand new channel. So I'm just working sure. off of it the best I can with the hopes that we get back to normal soon and I can do what I've always done. I mean, I've, I've taken a hit with this thing like everybody else. I mean, I'm not able to travel. I'm not able to do the show from L.A. monthly like I was doing. I'm, I'm losing appearances and hosting gigs like anyone else. But yeah. thankfully, I'm lucky that I have uh, this show as sort of my anchor thing. And I'm, um, I'm thankful the company wants me to continue doing it in some form because it keeps me employed. So that's really important right now. The, the show you've always said you, when you created the show, you wanted to do sort of a sports talk show, but for music fans and it's worked brilliantly because if you listen to the show, you can hear, Hey, this is just like, you know, a Mike and the mad dog show. Right. But instead of interviewing, uh, well, I can't say Mike Piazza because you might interview him. But instead of interviewing, say, you know, Derek Jeter, you're interviewing, say, you know, uh, who's on a lot. Um, 
Johnny Five. John Five. John Five, yeah. yeah right, yeah. right, whoever. And then instead of taking calls about the Yankee game last night, you're taking calls about, you know, the concert at the Garden last night or the concert at wherever. And it's really work. Or, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, or people getting ripped off on meet and greet. Or right. people having good <laughs> ticket experiences or bad ticket experiences. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and of course, talking about, like, no, we're not talking about the uh, the Astro scandal. We're talking about the doing live shows in front of with tracks scandal, you know, if scandal's the right word, I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Totally. And, and it's, it's, it's such a great transition. And, and what you kind of inadvertently sort of really set yourself up well by one of the kind of canons of the show being these emails and something that you already did already. It, it just kind of, it just kind of slid in with this really nicely to, to, um, to work out, but talk a little bit about the, uh, the parallels and 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 your your strategy of creating this show as being like uh, the 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 sports talk show for music and how you think it's worked and and how you want it to evolve in the future as it, when it gets back to kind of being normal, quote unquote. Well, I I am in in more recent years. I mean, I, I've spent my whole life in radio, and I started out and still continue and sometimes to do traditional radio, meaning like you know, playing a bunch of records and then saying, you know, talking about the records or what have you, or just straight DJ stuff. And that's been like what I've done for a really long time, but I don't know in the last, in the last, I've always had a great appreciation for talk radio. And in the last 15 years, maybe it's what I listen to by far the most is talk radio. So I, and, and I am a, I am a big sports fan, but I always uh, caution when I say that because I'm not, I'm not a sports fan to the degree that I could talk to people about really anything outside of the teams that I like. So I'm not in order to do sports talk radio effectively, you've got to know something about all the teams. And I'm not that guy. I I'm a Mets fan. I'm a Giants fan. And you want to talk about that? I'll talk to you about it, but I can't, I can't really bridge beyond that. I, I, you know, I do, I follow boxing a little bit couple, you know, I was, I was a Mets fan. I was a Rangers fan, but Outside of that, I, I really don't. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not that hardcore that I could sit there and talk to you about, uh, you know, what the Jacksonville Jaguars are doing with their backup offensive line. You know, I can't do right. that. So, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I, I care about the teams I care. So I could never really do sports talk unless somebody just said, "Okay, the show is going to be about the Giants for two hours." Okay, let's go. But so, but I, I. I I realize that there are a lot of parallels. Both the parallels are that the rock fans and certainly my audience are incredibly passionate and sports fans are incredibly passionate. And I just growing up, well, not not necessarily growing up, but well, yeah, to some degree growing up, listening to sports talk, uh, predominantly FAN in New York. Right. Mike and the mad dog. Yeah. 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 yeah, Of course. And all, all the hosts there. And also, also growing up, not certainly not sports, but growing up, listen, uh, you know, listening to Howard Stern my whole life, we, even when he actually used to play records. Right. It, it just, I kind of put that stew together and it was just like, you know, this could really work. I'm not the shock shock that Howard Stern is, but, you know, a lot of people tell me they do really like my interviews. And then the sports talk aspect of it comes from the fact that I really, I really, want, when, when I'm out and about and meeting people, they they love to come up to me and talk to me and tell me their stories about whether they just I don't even have to ask they just sort of will volunteer like their first show they ever saw or the last show they saw or 
hey, man, I just got ripped off by these guys charging this for tickets, or I went to this meet and greet, and I paid X amount, and I had this great experience, or I had this awful experience. And I realized that, sure, there's social media and all that, but people really don't have a, a, a big pro- a broadcast outlet for that. And uh, touring and the music industry, I mean, there's so much that's going on out there right now, and people aren't really getting a, a real, honest, unfiltered uh, 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 view of it. So that was my goal. And, and not everybody, just like all those personalities I named, uh, not everybody's going to like what they say or what their position is, but they're all going to listen and they're all going to make a mark when they say something. And that to me is way more important to be able to give the audience a true outlet uh, to say whatever the hell they want to say, whether I agree with it or not. And also for me to have the same opportunity and to comment on it and to get into it. So some of my favorite shows that I do are shows where I'm just doing calls. I'm, I mean, and I'm that way when I listen to sports talk, it's like, if I'm listening to sports talk and they've got somebody on from, well, you know, I live in the New York market. So if they've got somebody on from the Yankees, I'm not going to listen because right. I don't care. Cause I'm a Mets guy. Fan. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go to something else. If I, if they've got somebody on from the giants, I'm, I'm locked in. If it's somebody from the jets, I don't care. So I, I'm, I'm aware of that. And although music isn't that polarizing, the, the parallel that I make there is the fact that if I'm listening to uh, sports talk and they're just doing phones, I'm there the whole time. Cause I never know what's going to come up. And I know that, uh, you know, these, I'm going to get to hear what people have to say. And that to me is equally as important to what the artists have to say or in the, or the, the athlete has to say. So I, I really wanted to create something that could be a real open two way street. And I think I've pretty much done it. I had been doing it for a long time anyway, before volume started once a week at Sirius XM. And now to have a daily show doing it has been great. It's over three years now. Um, all the stuff I've done on the road. It's another thing I really pride myself in is getting out there and actually living it and giving people an opportunity to come on the air in different parts of the country or do shows from different places, whether it be cruise ships, whether it be the rainbow, whatever it may be. So I've got this situation now for me where I'm older. I've done this for a really long time. I've accumulated decades of experience and knowledge. I'm still learning I'm I'm learning from the audience. The audience loves hearing from me and hearing my story and my take on things. Again, they're not always going to agree. You're always going to have your haters out there. You're always going to have people that are going to twist your words or take them out of context and try to create some sort of headline. Um, But that just comes with the territory. And to me, that just shows that they're still listening. So I I, I get it. I get how it all works. And, um, you know, I'm really, really lucky that I've got the audience that I have. And, and, and luck and put a hell of a lot of work into it. And it's been great. It's, you know, doing this show the last three years is actually, I, I can say honestly and without any reservation, it's one of my favorite things of the many things I've done in my career. It truly is one of my favorite things to do. I mean, to have a couple hours a day with an open palate and be able to go and just say and do and talk to who I want and, and including the audience itself has been amazing. And my program director who, who gave me this opportunity, a guy named Roger Coletti. I mean, I can't be more appreciative of him because the, he, he gets it. He leaves me alone. He, he respects my career and my history. 
And he, you know, outside of very, very few exceptions, he'll always be like, Hey, it's your show. If that's what you want to do. Okay. And there's nothing better than that. Right. That's why we give him a pass when he trolls you with a cowboy's helmet. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got I've got a couple Dallas fans in that building, unfortunately. <laughs> but we have it's all in good fun. Did they approach you, or did you pitch this idea to them, or how did it kind of when the station came about? How did it find its way onto that station? Well, that's an interesting story, actually, because this uh, this guy Roger Coletti, who is the uh, uh, program director and runs the channel volume, which, uh, you know, just we're talking about me and my show here, but just for people to understand sure. who haven't heard the channel, the, the channel is an, uh, is a 24 seven talk channel for about music. music. Right. So we play very little music, if any. And instead it is, it, the whole channel is formatted as a talk channel, but all talk about music. And I, uh, I'm one of the three, well, actually four now daily live shows. There's, there's a, uh, a morning show uh, called feedback. Then I'm in the midday of two to four Eastern. And then after me, there's a show called debatable. And then I think an hour for an hour after debatable, there's an hour from the LA studio called volume West. Okay. And the one thing that my show is different than the others. Well, a couple things, first of all, Mine is the only show that I'm solo, you know, solo host. The other ones are co-hosted shows, at least two people in the studio. So I'm solo. And the other biggest distinction for me that, that I think was vital and really important is that I am exclusively targeted towards one genre. style of music. Right. I am one genre of music. And I'm, I'm very proud about that. I am, I'm 100% rock. The other shows will jump from pop to hip hop to DJs to rock to country to whatever. And more power to them if they're able to do that. I, I just don't feel that personally that audiences will stay through all that. Kind of like my analogy, like where, um, you know, if I'm listening to sports talk, I'm, I'm a Giants fan. I don't want to hear him talk about the, the Dolphins. Right. I want to, yeah, I'm gone. So, same sort of thing, but, but, you know, look, there's probably a lot of people in this world that are more open-minded about genres of music than I am. I make no uh, reservations about the fact that I am 100% a rock fan, and that's Same all here. I care about. Yep. And, and look, I, I respect other kinds of music, and I will... Um, Tip a hat. You know, I'll be open-minded right. to it, but that doesn't mean I'm going to listen to it or want to hear about it. It's just not my taste. I... I kind of I, I kind of find it amazing that people who who will sit there and tell you they love Taylor Swift and they love Metallica. I mean, I I don't I don't even pro, I can't. It's hard for me to process that. But again, to each his own. I don't judge anybody for their tastes. I just know that rock fans are rock fans, and that's what they love, and that's what we love. So to answer your question, I had been doing a. Uh, I started on. I mean, I've been doing terrestrial radio forever, and I still do. But I started on. Sirius XM when the two companies were two separate companies. And I, I started there in 2000 on XM one day a week. And I insisted at that time on doing a live show and I insisted on taking calls and they thought I was crazy at that time right. because they, uh, they said, well, you're doing a music channel, come in like everybody else record the next three days of the voice tracks and leave. It, it'll take you an hour. What are you doing? And I'm like, no, 
It's important to me to engage with the audience. It's important to me to talk to guests. It's important to me to take calls. And when I started doing that back 20 years ago, they, they were like, initially like the audience wanted to kill me because they were not used to hearing anything like that on a music channel, which are all pre-recorded, to be honest with you. And like, what is this guy doing? Shut the hell up, play some music. Well, after they got used to that and realized I was doing a balance of the two, it went the other way. And then the days when I couldn't do it live, people would go crazy. Oh, you just played music. <laughs> so I realized it was right. catching on. Right. And so I, I done that and I had been doing that for, for 17 years. Yeah. Just and I mean, on this island. For some perspective, your show started six years before Stern was in satellite. So you were really in the infancy of it to start in 2000. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. crazy to me to even think that. Yeah, six years so, before so, Stern. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I, I was just doing – right, and he signed with Sirius, and I was an XM guy, so I was on the other – because you know, for people that don't know, Sirius and XM were bitter rivals right. for years yep. in two different companies until they merged. Um, but anyway, I, I just – so I really enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed getting doing a live national show and taking calls and getting the pulse from all over the country, and it was great. But I really couldn't get any further traction with it. I couldn't get the people who were running the company at the time to care about my show, to give me the time of day, to, quite frankly, to pay me anything remotely decent, to give me any staff, any support. But I did it because I enjoyed it, and the radio and the audience clearly enjoyed it. So it was just a fun thing for me to do. It was a great platform, and I never viewed it as anything more than one day a week sort of thing. And then... The, the, this guy Roger that I'm telling you about, who runs the channel, he he and I have known each other, knew each other for a really long time because we both worked for MTV. I worked for VH1 Classic. Roger worked for MTV Radio Networks. It's basically the same company. Right. And Roger and I knew each other. And, and years ago, Roger offered me a job uh, doing more of like a production gig for MTV Radio, which I took and left after like one week because it just wasn't right for me. But he and I knew each other for a long time, and he, uh, he, I, I when I was doing my show in the studios in New York, I saw him walking around the hallways one day, and I said, "Hey, what are you up? What are you doing? You up here visiting?" And he goes, "No," he said, "I'm here um, just kind of uh, get ready to launch a new channel." I said, "You're working at Sirius XM now?" He's like, "Yeah." I go, so "What happened?" He said, "Well, there were changes at MTV, and they closed the radio division, and what have you." I go, "Oh man, I'm sorry." I said, so what's this channel going to be? And he, he said to me, he goes, I'm going to do a music talk channel. And I was like, you're kidding. He goes, no. He goes, I want to talk to you because I'd like you to be a part of it. Wow. And honestly, I, I really, I had already been doing, and I think he knew I'd already been doing something like that already once a week. But I'm going to tell you, Steve, honestly, um, when he told me that, I was pretty dismissive about it. Really? And the reason being, yeah, the reason being is that not because I didn't want to do it, but if I'm being totally honest here, um, I had a lot of resentment towards the company because of the way I felt I had been treated up till that point. Like with that the hair nation never, thing and that, like getting switched on the yeah, chair. Yeah. 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 Okay. I just felt like I had very, very little support. I felt like. I was doing some really great things and bringing some great things to them with interviews and content. And I just, I had tried repeatedly over the years to do more there and get a full-time gig or at least get 
another day or at least get a couple bucks more or get some support or get a producer, get something. And I can't tell you the agents, managers, myself, countless times I went up to the powers that be and had basically, you know, got nowhere. So I was really very, very, very frustrated for a really long time. So when I, and I had heard all of this before, like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get you a full-time gig here. I'm going to do this. And none of it ever happened. So I was just kind of like, yeah, right. The the latest guy in the line. Right. So I kind of wrote it off. And, and, but Roger was persistent in calling me and saying, I told them I can't launch this channel without you. I need you on the team. And I said, look, you guys come to me with a decent offer for once and something that's fair. And I'll, I'll listen. And to his great credit, and I give him all the credit in the world, he did. He was able to do that. Wow. Um, he, he really went to bat for me, and he made a point with his superiors that he needed me as part of the launch of this channel. So I'm very grateful to him for that, and without him, none of this would have been happening because he really, really stepped up for me and really um, insisted that um, I was part of the initial team. So that was it. He built the channel with the with the three shows that I mentioned, me, uh, Debatable, which is Mark Goodman and Alan Light, and the morning show, which is Feedback, which is um, Lori Majewski and Nick Carter. And that was the core of the channel when it launched and still is. And then recently added an hour or two from the, from the, the West studio. Coast. Yeah. And with the new studio there, and then also fills out the schedule with a ton of shows that are pre-recorded and are either weekly or monthly. For some done by other musicians, and some done by just um, you know other people in media or whatever. But it's been amazing, and the, and the only rub really for me when it started, the only conflict, if there even was one, was yeah, I was fine with all the terms, I was fine with everything, but my only I had two requests. I didn't want to have to go to New York City every day because right. it's a big pain in the ass yeah. for me from where I live in New Jersey, <laughs> and it's really expensive. And and for two a two hour show, it just it, it'd be way more time in the car than it would be actually on the air. Right. And they said, "Well, we'll let you do the show from a home studio, and we'll set that up for you." And they did. And that, in the day and age we're in right now, has been a godsend, obviously, because sure. uh, of what's going on in the world right now. And and then the other thing that was actually a real sticking point for a, a half a second there was they wanted me to uh they wanted me to cover all like the other oh, shows no. do do all <laughs> kinds of music. Yeah, no. And 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 I just was like I couldn't I, I couldn't do it cuz yeah. I was for a number of reasons. First of all, it wouldn't have been honest and I pride myself on trying to do an honest show and being real with the audience and it would you know if i would have to start talking about cardi b it would have just been the most ridiculous thing in the world and i just didn't feel comfortable doing it and just didn't think it made any sense and honestly from a programming standpoint i didn't think it made a lot of sense either because my entire audience knows me for rock i mean it's not like i was coming into this thing with no history i mean from you know decades of tv and radio everybody knows what i'm about and I just really felt like I wanted to plant, I wanted to plant a flag in the ground as being, hey, this is your rock safe haven. This is where you come when you want to make sure it's going to be all rock. Now, it's not, it wasn't going to be, I was fine with it not being 
all metal, but I was, but I was fine with that. But I, but I, it needed to be all rock because if you talk about rock, that's a much bigger umbrella, which metal is part of. Right. So I was, so that's why I'm, I was always fine. When I was doing that metal show, people are always amazed to find out I never wanted that show to be called that metal show. I never wanted metal in the name right? because I thought it would become too limiting. So I was fine with saying, no, I'll, let's keep it rock with metal being part of it. And once they sort of saw where I was coming from on that, you know, I think the very, very beginning of the show, maybe the first couple weeks of its existence, they tried to kind of push me in some directions where I would talk about some non-rock stuff, but it, it was never going to work. It was never going to be that way. And then I think they quickly realized with the audience I have and the, and the fan base I was bringing in already, okay, let's, let's go the way that he wants to, and let's let this really be known as the rock destination. And, you know, that's, that's what we built. So it's been a tremendous ride, but it all came about because of Roger. He and I had history. We worked together in the past, although not directly. And he, you know, when he put this channel together, uh, he went to bat for it to really, really do something and, and the last thing on this which is interesting is that it's one of the beauties of satellite radio that you can have a channel that does nothing but talk about music because what was happening was the music channels on Sirius XM a lot of people who have it they play them in restaurants they're in in, in car in their car at, at work or whatever they don't want long DJ breaks. They don't want interviews on right. the music-based channel. They like the no commercials and, streaming through mostly. Yeah. 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 So what was happening was um, you were getting a lot of artists who wanted to talk about new records, do, do interviews, but the, the channel, the Sirius XM really had no place to put them because the music channels wanted to keep the music flow going. And there were very few outlets that would take guests so this channel has served a great thing, a great uh, service for the entire platform, because now if there's an artist of any genre that wants to do interviews about what they have coming out, that's the place they put them. And if they're a rock or a hard rock audience, most of the time it's going to end up landing with me, which is great. The sports guys are here with Eddie Trunk. Eddie, you, you good for a couple more real quick? Are you up against yeah. it? Okay. Yep. Uh, let me follow up on that. Um, the show itself, I, I envision every once in a while you sit down with Roger, uh, maybe Ed's there as well, and you guys or whoever, and you're talking about the show, what's working, what's not. Maybe you know one day you went to this meeting and you guys are like, hey, let's do these LA shows, and that evolved. When you're doing that now, is, is there anything or things that at, when you look out two, three years into the show, you want to see evolve? You know, like. Do you ever want a third hour? Or do you want the ability to play a little bit more music when guests are in? I know that can be frustrating. You know, I hear the artist sometimes. What do you mean we can't play my song? Then there's other times, I guess you get the permission or whatever the mechanics are to play them. Um, behind the scenes, is there anything that you can mention that, or, or maybe even not in reality, just a thought in your head of how you'd like to see it evolve as it goes on? Yeah, well, the thing about playing music that just comes down to publishing. We're, right. we're a talk channel yeah. and the, there are different rules for there's completely different rules that apply to publishing for, um, for, for music channels satellite. versus talk channels, especially in relate the way it relates to satellite radio, satellite, which yeah. has a whole different uh, set of rules than regular radio that they have to adhere to. 
So I don't really know how that all works, but yeah, occasionally we can play some songs and I'll play a full song. Otherwise it's just pieces of songs or whatever. Um, I, I'm not really so much about, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, if they, if, if I have an artist on and, and I ask in advance about playing the full song, usually we can get that signed off on. So that's not really an issue. Um, as far as the evolution of the show, I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be opposed if they wanted to go to a third hour, um, at some point. I mean, I guess it would be a discussion and it would be up to them. They, they initially, I mean, the time slot that they came to me with and the amount of time they came to me with was all their idea. This is what they presented to me and I was fine with it. Uh, my only request was that it wasn't mornings because I can't, I'm not yeah, a morning a person. Guy. I can't watch in the morning. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So if anything, I'd go later than earlier if, if there was ever a time change. But um, no, I'll tell you, I, I, um, the, in the last year and a half, the LA stuff has been a blast and I really enjoy going out there and we have a great new facility out there. Great performance space doing those monthly shows from the rainbow has been great. Now I got to tell you, I mean, I, I really like how the show has evolved. I really like uh, that the company definitely seems committed to it and is in, in committed in growing it to send me to LA monthly is, you know, obviously there's some expense there and they're, they're great about that. And also just, um, doing, doing those rainbow shows is just been great because yeah, they're awesome. I love, I love working with an audience. I love I love live. I always wanted to do an episode of that metal show live, but, uh, never got around to doing that. Like, but, but I love working live and, having that spontaneity and that vibe of an audience sitting in front of me. And that has been just a, a fun thing to do with the rainbow. It's really built into something pretty cool. So, you know, maybe, you know, at some point I'd be, I'd do something like a little more concert coverage stuff. Like I'd love to be able to go out and, um, you know, cover the start of concerts, like the very first uh, night of a concert somewhere. Right. I've done Kinda a little like... bit of that, but not, not a lot. The but Duff that, Leopard the challenge thing comes with about. that, well, the challenge with that, Steve, is also the time that I'm on. Right. So I'm I'm two to four Eastern, but especially if it's a West Coast thing, then I'm starting at 11 a.m. and there's just nobody there right. yet. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem there. That's why when we do the shows from the Rainbow, that's the one time I do it at night because it wouldn't make sense to work from a bar at 11 in the morning. Right. So, um, but but no, I I, I mean, I, if I really think about it, a lot of stuff that I throw at them, they're really receptive to and are pretty much like. If they think it makes sense, let's do it. I mean, I, I'm going. This is going to re-air on Monday, but a few years ago, I said, "Hey, I want to go up to Toronto and interview Bob Ezrin." They said, "Go ahead and do it." It's Triumph um, reunion. You know, hey, you got Triumph. Triumph, Triumph too, reunion. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or they'll say, you know, if I go, if I'm going to LA, hey, I want to stay a couple extra days because I want to pick these guys off in the studio there. I mean, so it's it's really we're we're talking about, and we were having serious talks just before this whole pandemic hit of doing a week from Vegas, doing a week from Nashville. So there's been a lot of that going on, but obviously that's all backburnered right now. But it, it, no, I mean, I, I, I love where everything's going. I'm, there's video components coming into it now because everything's being shot and going on the app. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty excited about, uh, about the future and where it's all headed. I love the show and I'm not saying that cause you're on it. I love the show. I want to make sure everyone knows everything about it. So it's on SiriusXM Volume, 
and it airs live uh, from 2 to 4 during normal circumstances, 2 to 4, Monday through Friday. And then there's a replay from 10 to 12. And then, of course, like everything they do, it's on demand on the app. Now, the show, they usually do about six in a backlog, but any interview that Eddie does kind of stays in a separate on-demand file, which is called Eddie Trunk Interview. So the best thing to do on a de- on-demand sense is just search Eddie Trunk, and the different things will come up. But uh, I wanted to make sure everyone knows that, of course. Um, let me ask you Yeah, one... and those times, uh, those times are all Eastern, just for people listening right. wherever they are. They're all Eastern. So do the time conversion where, wherever you're at, but... Yep, that's that's a hundred percent correct, and I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you listening. Let me ask you one business question, and I'll let you go. I promise. Sure. You talk all the time about the music business in twenty twenty, right? It's a it's a topic of the show all the time, and you always stress the money is made on tour now, and everything else, you know, is extra. That the the main way that maybe in the 80s or 90s it was you put out the record and the tour kind of supported the record it's kind of the reverse now where the the tour is the thing and and maybe the tour supports the record but look at every day there's more right i had three pearl jam concerts on my calendar in 14 days when this when that tour was canceled every day something else is canceled postponed pushed back you've probably thought about this a little bit what do you think about the music business how this unprecedented time is going to affect it and what changes you think could come out of it. Like, have you thought at all about when this is over, how things are going to change or stay the same or, you know, what's going to happen with all these tours gone? I'm a big fan of better than Ezra and um, the singer, uh, Kevin Griffin, who's, he did a, a Facebook live. He raised like 40 grand in an hour the other day for music cares I'm sure the music cares charity is huge right now for musicians who are out, but on a bigger scale, like what do you think? What's going to happen with this? Do you have you thought about it at all? Yeah, I mean, and we talked about it a little bit on the air, but I think in the in the immediate future, I think the problem. Look, before all this happened, uh, there were some, myself included, that made the case that we're we're probably hit the saturation point in terms of too many bands being on the road, right? and too many shows being out there and too many festivals just because of exactly what you said, the, the money is made on the road now, especially so you have summer, bands. Right? That, yeah, yeah. Well now year round yeah. and you've got artists going to parts of the world. They never normally go to before you got artists that were retired coming back. I mean, look, that's the, the a big reason why you see so many bands reuniting or coming back because they, they need to make money. The, the royalties have dried up and there's huge opportunity for bands that have big followings that were inactive to when they come back, that's a big, big thing because there's so much burnout from bands. You have two things. You have the, you know, so many bands that are over touring and playing too much and people are kind of like indifferent about seeing them again. And promoters can only keep putting the same bands on these festivals over and over again before that becomes an issue. So if you, if you've been on the sidelines for 10 years or so and you come back, that's a huge money win and the promoters will jump because it's some new meat, you know, it's some fresh blood, right? A new logo on the poster, new logo on the poster, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're right now, I mean, as, as we were getting ramped up here, whether it's my chemical romance or rage against the machine or system of a down, any of that stuff. Yeah. Stuff that's coming. Yeah. Well, Pearl jam doesn't work that often. Uh, tool coming back was Mm -hmm. a big deal. So there's, stuff like that that those 
there is definitely a, if you, if you're able to do it, there's definitely a, a mentality of less is more, meaning that you can make way more money and play to way more people if you stay away and you're able to and build demand. And th- some of those bands have been able to do it. And then there's the other side of the coin where the people bands just keep touring and touring and come through a market three times in a year because they just can't stop and, and they need to in their mind. So I, I think that what in the immediate future, you're going to have a problem because the back end of this year with everything being postponed and pushed is going to be flooded yeah. with bands that had carved out that time to tour to begin with and then factor in all the rescheduling being back-ended, all the festivals being back-ended. So you're going to have all of that against a backdrop of people having lost a tremendous amount of money, whether it be because they lost their job because of this or because they had money in the stock market and it tanked, sure. whatever it may be. So it's a pretty, it's going to be a pretty rough, I think, rest of the year because even hopefully we get through all this and everybody gets through it safely. But from a music standpoint, the good news is you're going to have more than you're ever going to know what to do with. The bad news is I don't know how much it was already sort of being taxed as to how well it could be supported by people. Well, now you're going to almost essentially double the amount available from that against the backdrop of a good amount of people financially having some issues to recover from. And this is something that very recently on my radio show has come up because I'm hearing from a lot of people. And I I absolutely want my show trunk nation to be this. I want it to be a a voice for the people. And uh, there's a lot of them coming to me now saying, Hey, we bought tickets to something and we, we now are being told to hold right the we're going to hold the, for, uh, hold the tickets yeah. will be good for the new date and they're holding 2 grand right and i need that money now and i can't go to the new date and right. there some a lot of bands promoters are offering refunds some are not and the ones that aren't that is patently wrong they have to offer the option of the refund so that's that's been an issue but I see that as being a problem in the immediate future, meaning the, by the end of this year. And then beyond that, I'll tell you, Steve, I mean, there's a way bigger question here. And I, I'm not a scientist, and I don't know where this all goes. But there are some that will tell you that what we're looking at is sort of a new normal and that there are going to be issues with viruses and the, the way the world is today and the way everyone's so connected and international travel and what have you that this could be something that happens and flares up more often than not. And it could change the way everything is in terms of just big public gatherings, not to be an alarmist because I'm really not that kind of guy, but it's going to be a concern in the back of people's minds. I mean, look, the, the whole idea of something most people have done their whole life when they meet someone shaking their hand is pretty much done now. I mean, there are people saying that that's just a practice that has to stop and just shouldn't happen anymore. And there's got to be a a new way to greet somebody that's not potentially uh, transmitting a a, a disease or a sickness. So 
it's not, it's not being alarmist, but when you think about something like that, if this is something that flares up every couple of years, who knows what sort of new restrictions could be put on huge public gatherings, people shoulder to shoulder sweating on each other. I don't know. I certainly hope that's not the case, but I don't know. I don't have those answers. I just know that it is a bit concerning, some of the things you hear, and I do think people are going to be uh, the fallout from this or people, people are going to be freaked out for yeah, a while even scared. after yeah. it subsides. Mm-hmm. I remember. And, and I, and I guarantee I guarantee you something else too. Yeah. As lucrative as they are, you will see more and more of these artists scaling back or not doing the paid meet and greet. I mean, greets, yeah. I mean uh-huh. you already saw a couple get squashed just when things were ramping up to this. I mean, look, when kiss tells you they're canceling <laughs> paid meet and greets and leaving money on the right. table, you know, that it's really bad. So, um, but, but, but above and beyond that, I mean, that, that, that's a, for, for the, look, the paid meet and greet for an arena stadium level act is just to make more money. Right. The paid meet and greet for the club touring act is hugely important. It can sustain them. It can be the difference between them being on the road or not, or being in a bus versus a van. So, for the lower level bands and and that's why folks need to keep in mind when we're dealing with this pandemic stuff that like i see a lot of people online help your bands out help your bands out yeah true but keep it in perspective in other words if you're a fan of a band that's a club level act they're the ones that probably need some help right they're the ones that could use buying a piece of merch or something don't worry about Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters right, right now. Right. I love Dave. Program. He's a friend, but yeah. they're fine. Right. They, they're fine for 20 years if they need to be fine. Right. Worry about, you know, it's a band that plays stadiums. It's just common sense. Yeah. By so the life wor- of Agony Worry shirt. about those guys. Yeah. You know, the crew guys, the people behind the scenes, the, the, the smaller bands. Those are the ones that are really feeling it right now. Um, the arena acts, the stadium acts, you, you know, they're trying to sell you something or whatever. They're just trying to keep their business going, but they're fine. So for the most part. So I think that's a really important thing to keep in perspective. And uh, I hope that we just all get through this and things turn back to normal. But if this is the kind of thing that we have an incident of every couple of years, I don't know what the whole overall effects are going to be. It could be pretty catastrophic on this industry. Yeah. People will be scared. I I was going to say, I remember in 2003, I went, I flew to a Pearl Jam concert in Boston I was telling a friend about it. He's like, you're going to trust that airport? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, that's where one of the planes took off from 9-11. I'm like, I didn't even make that connection. You know, yeah, I'll, I'm going to trust it. But like that, there'll be that kind of mentality. Like, oh, you really going to go out in a group like that? You know, I think that'll carry over. And then what you said about the meet and greets, I think that bands are going to have to find a new creative way to kind of supplement that, right? Like I had actually sent you the – you did a whole show on it with Candlebox and all the stuff that they were doing. You know, uh, oh yeah, yeah, selling off like uh, he'll write out the lyrics to a song, or hell, he'll name the album after you if you want to pay enough. You know, I mean, there was a whole list of stuff, so maybe that becomes more popular, and maybe even the um, um, in the smaller clubs, uh, they'll like comedians do. Maybe they'll do it more like that. Like after the show, you buy a piece of merch and maybe a controlled picture that way. I don't know, but it'll be really interesting to see. All right. The sportscasters, that's Eddie Trunk. He's the man. This was awesome. I asked him for 20 minutes around 50, so I got to let the poor man go. Um, again, serious volume, Monday through Friday, uh, 2 to 4 Eastern or 10 to 12 Eastern and on demand on the app. And um, 
Also, I noticed yesterday, Eddie flipping through my guide, uh, Access was replaying uh, the the trunk um, travel show that you did was uh, yeah one airing today. I think those pop up sporadically. Um, keep your eye on. Yeah, it. yeah. I, I'm kind of bummed. That, I was kind of bummed that that show is not continuing. But Access TV was sold. Right. Um, Mark Cuban owned it, it. He sold yeah. it, and there's a new company running it. I'm not sure what direction they're taking it in, but. It's, it was nice to see that at, at the, very early in the morning, like 7.30 Eastern, they've been showing replays of the, so how many were there? I think 17 episodes of that show. And the irony of that show, which is called Trunk Fest, if people have access TV, check your grids. The irony of that show is that that show was about me covering music festivals right, the big and gatherings. being out there <laughs> yeah. in a sea of people <laughs> right. in every setting and every environment all over the country. And the funny thing is, is that sad thing is now if that show were still in production, I wouldn't be able to do it. Right. They'd halt there's that no festivals first. happening right. and there would be a huge concern about being in that environment. Right. Uh, you know, but for people, but for people missing music festivals, Steve, that's a you know, way. if they yeah. have that channel, mm-hmm. there's a good way to be in a festival for half an hour because that's what that thing was was all about. And uh, I, I'd love to do some stuff for them again. I just, like I said, they're sort of in a transitional phase, given that they just sold the comp- they just right. sold the channel to a company out of Canada, and I just don't know what the plans are for it at this point. I'm just shocked you, Jim, and Don haven't went to Netflix to see if they would want to do. That metal show. That's a joke. We've tried. <laughs> no, that, that was a joke. <laughs> um, We've tried. They don't. We'd love to do that metal show again. We, I appreciate people still asking about it. We really do, but it's just completely out of our hands. Right. And uh, there's always talk. Every once in a while, we'll get a call. Hey, there's this one might be interested, but nothing's transpired yet. Um, anything else you want to promote? Anything I missed? Well, just I, I have an FM radio show still. It's on in about 30 cities. I don't think uh, people can find all the, the listing of stations on my website. It's on in New York City. It's on in Milwaukee. It was on in Boston until just very recently when that station went off the air. But uh, there's about 30 cities that run it. It's called Eddie Trunk Rocks. It's mostly an all-music show. So that's really my outlet for playing music. That's three hours a, a week. And uh, for people that don't have Sirius XM, since we spent a lot of time talking about the satellite radio show, th- there's uh, you can get a little taste of what I do on it because once a week I post a podcast, and it's totally free, and you can get it at podcastone.com. It's on Apple, and it's also now on Spotify. And it doesn't cost a penny, and it's um, interviews. It's 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 what I get to do is what what basically happens is after I do an interview on my on my Trunk Nation show on Sirius XM, I, after that runs for a week or two on the on their app, I can then take that interview and put it as out as my podcast, and it basically serves as just a way for people to hear what I'm doing, who might not subscribe to satellite radio, so. I cherry pick one interview a week. I put a little new content around it and I post it up there for everybody to hear. It's also helpful because Sirius XM broadcasts us and Canada and obviously podcast is international, international completely. Yeah. So yeah, it gives, it gives people a little idea of what I'm doing and it's just another way to connect. So 
if you don't have Sirius or XM and you want a little taste, um, you can just grab the podcast. Right. It's simply called the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie, when, yeah. I, when I said you were going to be on, the one of the biggest hockey writers in the nation, this guy's name is uh, Adrian Dater. I know you're not a big uh, hockey guy, but maybe you've heard of him. He wanted me to ask you, so this will be the absolute last thing. Is there any Vinny Vincent update? I know he's a big kiss guy, so he was wondering about that. Well, no, you know, Vinny came back and started doing some stuff a couple years ago. I did the very first interview yeah, with him 2017. in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, and then he's done a bunch of interviews since with various people and has done some appearances. Some have been canceled and not gone so well and not been received so well. And then a couple did actually follow through on. And I have not had any dialogue with him since that interview and it, you know, you hear a lot of things as things he's going to do and what he's not going to do. But I just, uh, I just don't know. I just don't know where he's at with everything. I really don't. I've not had any further conversations with him. I think, Steve, if I'm being honest, and I see this a lot with artists who are on the sideline from the music industry for a very long time. Like, you know, Vinny sat out for. 20 years, I guess it was, and anybody even heard from them, that when they come back into the business, it's so radically different. And it takes them a really, really long time to figure out what they're doing, how they, how to do it. The new model for the music industry, surrounding themselves with the right people. It's really, really difficult for guys who basically drop out and then all of a sudden want to get back in. Yeah. Steve Steve Perry. Perry, I mean, Mick Mars from Motley Crue is uh, been working on a solo record forever. <laughs> and of course he's not been completely out of the industry, but he told me himself, he said, look, I, I've never done anything completely on my own. I just showed up and played guitar up to this point. A guy that a lot, I get asked about a lot, John Sykes, who played guitar in Whitesnake. Uh, he's had a record done for seven years. I think he hasn't put it out. So there's a lot of people that, can't adapt to or don't want to adapt to or can't figure out how to adapt to how the business has changed if they've been out for a long time and i think that's a a big you know big part of the problem and just real quick on hockey i was an enormous rangers fan 1994 when i was in high school my god i used to take the i used to go into the garden and go to rangers games all the time i don't know what happened i just kind of you know i watch it when the playoffs happen but i just kind of for whatever reason lost my uh, interest in hockey. I don't know why. I really don't. And and I was a, an enormous New Jersey Nets fan, but when they moved from New Jersey to, to Brooklyn, Brooklyn, that's when yeah. I stopped because I followed them because they were from my home state. So even though they're only 30 miles away, I, I don't I haven't gone to a game since they moved to Brooklyn because it was so convenient to go to New Jersey. So um you know, but I I I I'll always watch a hockey playoff game or something. So I did a podcast with this guy named John Delapina, I think his name is. I have his last. It's something like that. He was uh, the beat writer for the Devils for the Post, I think, in 94. And then when the Rangers beat the Devils in the Eastern Conference Final, which was one of the best series ever, really, if you remember that. Get seven games to Stefan Matteo goal and double overtime to win it. Of course. Yeah. He went out and covered the um, the cup then. We did a pot. We did like 40 minutes, and I was just drilling him. So what happened on this after this game? And the Messier guarantee and the – Beret penalty, it was awesome. Um, what do you, just real quickly, what do you remember about them winning it in 94 from your perspective? Do you remember that night or that series or anything stick out about the 94 Rangers to you? Yeah, um, 
Sam Rosen's call where he uh, was just yelling, Mato, Right. Mato. Yeah, one more hill to <laughs> you know? climb, baby. And it's Mount uh, yeah, Vancouver. Yeah. 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 And, and I remember, um, you know, when they won it, Messier being on the cover of the New York papers holding the cup. I remember going out the, ne- the next day and buying the shirt, which I still have, the championship shirt. I still have that shirt. I actually keep it in a bin. I don't wear it. Right, but, with the flags, um, right? With the flags coming down. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So I just, yeah, I just, uh, I just remember just, you know, um, the, the and, and also remembering that we wouldn't have to hear the chant anymore from yeah. Islanders fans. Yeah. <laughs> no more 1940. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I remember the chant. Finally, the chant is done too. So yeah, yeah it's all, it's all great stuff. I remember Adam Graves looking into the camera and going, 1994. But, um, all right, Eddie. Yeah. Thanks yeah, so much. I, I was I was really I was really into it at one point, man. I mean, I was that, I'm talking way long ago though. The days of Ron Duguay, Duguay and Nick yeah. Patiu and John Davidson was the goalie. And sure. I mean, I was in high school, but I was I was just such uh, my cousin and I were such big hockey fans. And we would go take the train to the Garden. And hell, I remember I used to when I was in high school, I used to go to the games with my history teacher. We used to go <laughs> together into the city on the train and go to Rangers games because he was a huge fan as well. The weird thing for me is that I, I, am, I have this thing where I will never change allegiances to my teams. Sure. And a lot of people have always said to me, "How are you not a Devils fan?" Being from new jersey and my response to that is true it's like they didn't exist. i was right i was a rangers fan before the devils existed right the devils were the rockies at the time i think yeah they didn't come and in until the 80s came, the devils yeah they came yeah. from colorado yeah and and i was just like i was like you know although i always kind of kept an eye on them and i wish i kind of would have been a devils fan because they're the one team that actually calls themselves new jersey now right. i i can't change i mean my whole dna was growing up as a rangers fan and i'm not going to change just because this new team came into the market which is why when i got into basketball much later i became a nets fan and paid my dues and took my lumps because they were the one team that carried the name of the state that i'm from and then, of course, they get moved to Brooklyn, and that's what really jilted me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm out now. So, um, you know, everybody figures out a way that makes it work for them as far as a fan. But right. to these days, um, it's absolutely first and foremost always have been a, a the Giants, uh, Giants for football. And, and and I still keep an eye on the Mets and still go to an occasional Mets game. But the problem with baseball is the season is just so, so long that you just can't watch every game. But I still will always be a Mets fan because that was the first pro team I ever went to see. All right, Eddie. Well, I pray that Daniel Jones will be the next Eli Manning or better. <laughs> Saquon Barkley's ankle heals to 100% for the season. Uh, and the Giants, uh, what do they have, the th- fourth pick? Third, fourth pick? What is fourth it? Pick. Fourth I, the, pick. My yeah. biggest wish right now, Steve, is, is that somehow Chase Young falls to <laughs> right. us. That's what I'd Washington want. Washington says would be we the need the greatest a, dream of all. We need a quarterback again, right? Washington do that or whatever. Um, all right. Yeah. Eddie. Well, maybe they take two. Maybe they take two, and he comes yeah. to us. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think that's happening. But I would. That's winning that meaningless game against the Skins, yep. the second to last game of the year, That'll is going to haunt you. us yep. forever. If this guy is playing in Washington and terrorizing us twice a year. Well, I've been a I've been a Saints fan since 1987, and the Saints did you the favor back in the day of picking George Rogers first overall, so the Giants could yeah. pick Lawrence Taylor and. Uh, 
you enjoyed right. you enjoyed many years right. and a few Super Bowls with LT. All right, man, look it. I'm sorry. I asked for 20 minutes, and I look at my clock right now, and we've done no, 60. No, Steve, it's all good, man. I okay. appreciate you coming after me to do this. I yeah. really do. I'm sorry my schedule's been so crazy. No, no, But I'm course. glad we finally have the time to do it, and uh, uh, hopefully things get back to normal soon, man, and I appreciate you having me. Okay, I hope I see you on the road somewhere. Thank you. All right, Steve. Thank you, man. I want to give a huge thanks to Eddie Trunk and to SL Price for taking some time out from their quarantine to talk to me. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters on my SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports casters. You can also find us on Twitter where we are at sports underscore casters. You can email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com, and I would appreciate an Apple uh, review. Uh, a five-star one. Apparently, that's social promotion, and that's good for the show. Uh, don't forget about my friend Peter Winson and his show, Greetings from Allentown. He is at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. He has a new episode this week. It's a 1986 WWF episode. Uh, check that out. And we will be putting out a new episode of the Adams Division podcast uh, very soon where we debut WrestleMania cards of our own creation. Uh, Adrian Dater is our good friend. He's at a Dater on Twitter. Don't forget about his sh- show or his site, ColoradoHockeyNow.com, at CowHockeyNow on Twitter. Also, I wanted to mention, and I did it briefly last week, my friend uh, Justin Rosero from the formerly of Place to Be Nation. Of course, he still does the podcast there, but he's got his own thing called the North-South Connection, and he says this to you. Check out the North-South Connection brought to you by JT Rosero and Chad Campbell. It's a new home for Wrestling Warzone, No Holds Barred, The Extreme Three-Way Dance, Jeff Learns Wrestling, and more. Information on social media at JT the Pod Guy on Twitter or North-South Connection on Facebook. Uh, also, www.northsouthconnection.potbean.com or any pod catcher app to listen in. So best of luck to them. All right, one last thing sort of quickly here. Uh, One thing I have never done over the years, the internet years especially, is uh, download leaked albums or usually my policy is this. In the the lead up, and we'll focus specifically on Pearl Jam because this is about Pearl Jam, Uh, but usually in the lead up to a Pearl Jam record, uh, my policy is this. I will listen to what the band directs me to so if they put out a single i'll listen to that they put out a snippet uh, if they play a song in an interview i'll listen to those things but i don't go searching out anything that's leaked Uh, i enjoyed uh, in the past going to the record store the day of the release and being able to purchase the album you know I, i know with binaural i purchased it at midnight at media play I remember going out into the parking lot and hearing Breaker Fall blaring on like 13 different cars. And uh, Ride Act, I went to a record theater. I was in Fredonia at the time, and Don and I drove from our apartment in Fredonia to Hamburg 
record theater to buy right act but that's dead sort of right like i pre-ordered the record from the band the day they put up pre-orders and they're gonna mail it to me on or around the date which i think is march 27th the release date uh they'll mail it to me on or around that day and um you know that's what a release day is now and chances are the day before that anyway at midnight the streaming is going to go live on all the streaming services and i'll listen to it that way anyway so kind of the ro- romance of the leak is gone, or of the release is gone, and we're in an unprecedented lockdown, right? I need something to do every day uh, so that I don't, you know, take my boredom out of my family. So with that said, uh, two days ago now, the Pearl Jam album did leak, and for the first time ever, I partook in the leak, and I'm glad I did. The album, it's called Gigaton. It's awesome. I'm going to go through a a bigger song-by-song review when it's out there widely uh, and people listening who didn't want to do the leak have heard it. I will say that 7 O'Clock is my favorite song so far. It's absolutely awesome. It has top 10 potential. Quick Escape is great too. It starts with Whoever Said, which is good. I'll say this. Super Blood Wolf Moon and Dance of the Clairvoyance, which were the singles so far, uh, probably are my least two favorite songs from what I've listened to. I'm going slow. I haven't devoured the whole thing. I'll kind of listen to three at a time and then listen to those over and over again. So I'm taking it slow, uh, but I'm really enjoying it so far. Uh, it seems like a really strong album. Uh, I know critically there's a lot of uh, you know stuff going around like, oh, it's the best album since you know Yield or... That's hard for me to say because I've really enjoyed all the albums. I really enjoy Lightning Bolt. I know that can be a, maybe a polarizing opinion, but you know I really like that album. So I can't say yet if it's better or worse than that. But it's a, it's a great album. Again, I think it's released on the 27th, which is less than a week away now. Uh, so if you're not a leak person, which I'm normally not, uh, you can wait for that. But with that said... Please be safe. Uh, I think we're past the point where we're not taking this seriously. Uh, But if you aren't, please do. Uh, Stay safe. Enjoy time with your families. Uh, And hopefully we'll be back to life soon. Face the battle.